Welcome to the September 2018 edition of Book Plate. Find us on the web at foreveryoungadult.com. Join a book club chapter in your area or start your own by visiting us online and clicking on the book club link on the page. Don't forget to check out our monthly themed wallpaper created by graphics goddess Mandy C, which is always featured at the top of the page. I am Annie, your apprentice sound engineer and podcast editor, proud member and perpetual cheerleader of the San Francisco chapter of Forever Young Adult. Best chapter ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Britt, also from SFFYA. I try really hard to finish the books, but sometimes life happens. It does. <laughs> I'm Amanda from SFFYA and the proud holder of a library card with the excellent reservation system from the San Francisco Public Library that has been increasing my reading a lot lately. I just signed my mom up for a San Francisco Public Library card because she was visiting over the weekend. And if you have a California ID, you can get a library card for any library in the state. I've got like seven now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. You just got all the cards. (laughs) I go on overdrive and I look for like the book at each library and see which one has the shortest hold. (laughs) Like got a whole system. You're smart. I don't have Oakland yet. I have I've not done Oakland yet. I've San Francisco and Berkeley and pe- Peninsula, <laughs> but not Oakland. I do have a collection of library cards. I was actually looking at them the other day. I have like Seattle, San Juan County, which is the islands in Washington. I also have a, I think it was like Ol- Olympia, Washington State mm-hmm. library card. Yeah, but I'm, I was like looking at them and I was like, I bet I'm not in the system anymore. Even though I have these cards, I bet <laughs> I don't exist. It's like a collector's item. Yeah. <laughs> Bookplate divides uh, our books into an easily digestible portions like a meal. And the first thing is always our amuse-bouche. Elliot is special. He can see a wall that leads to the borderlands, a place where there just might be mermaids. After one look at an elf, Serene, he decides to come of age in this foreign place, crossing back across the border every summer to check in with his father who doesn't want him. An interesting take on magic school where there is very little magic, but lots of adventure by Sarah Reese Brennan. And we also ask our significant others what they think by just glancing at the cover. I asked Jamal and he said an Atlantean adventure. He's getting creative. It's like (laughs) short, but creative. (laughs) Garrett said, well, it's either about some magical land or it's about Australia. Australia? (laughs) I was like, why Australia? He said, I don't know. It's another land. (laughs) I was like, all right. Have you seen the Facebook group that says Australia is fake? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I have. And if you think you've ever been there, it's pilots landed you I somewhere else. I saw that. And those I'm people like, are actors. This is what happens when like flat earthers are given a platform like the <laughs> internet and then just it all goes to hell. I'm just confused. I'm like, did they go to Australia and were they disappointed? And that's why they now think it's fake. Koalas <laughs> are a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the whole the dingo ate your baby. Like... Oh. <laughs> urban legend but where will we get all of our hot actors from if australia is not real that's the, all of our ya movies they would have nobody in them are they all australian you ta- you brought this up before yes you do like if you look it up like everybody on the 100 is australian <laughs> like it's crazy we produce our best looking people from australia just like nicole well, i mean aren't they actors <laughs> aren't they they're they're in the actors? 100. <laughs> <laughs> um i showed the book to my husband phil and he said he thought it was about a mermaid society on the brink of war because one mermaid was turning away from the other mermaid. So he thought that she no longer subscribed to their mermaid ways and wanted to change things. Interesting. I would read that book. 
So for our appetizer, we have the first pancake, which I put as Magic School, take 500. (laughs) Um, How did this version of Magic School work for you? Did you like that multiple years were combined into one book? I thought it was striking. It was really different from most books I've read. Like the range of age that he went through and it made all of his changes seem more natural kind of. And um, yeah, I just, it was like very interestingly told. Like a lot of it was narration as opposed to scenes. And I thought that was such an interesting structure, even though it could make it dense at times. But um, yeah, I loved the two tracks for the schools. Yeah. (laughs) What did you guys think about that? The pacifist track and the war track. I thought it was hilarious. It's a good take on the, the houses, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you can see nods to, like, other, you know, magic school type books, but it definitely is its own unique thing. I loved the book. I really did. That part of, like, are you a fighter or are you a thinker? And the fact that he chose the thinker's path, I thought was, like, a nice twist on, like, toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. And we get a lot of, like, interesting gender-bending roles in the book uh, with the elf society. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, like, I don't know. It's it's definitely, like, magic school. And I love how libraries are fetishized yeah. in magic school. <laughs> like, throw a good library in there. I'm super happy. I just started watching The Dragon Prince on Netflix. Have you seen this? Seen this? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Twitter was talking about it, and I was like, what is this? I was thinking it's, like, dragon prince cool fantasy and it's like a kid's cartoon and i was like yes <laughs> one of my students told me about that it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> but there is already like an amazing library in there i just like i love every fantasy depiction of libraries and i always want more and i loved again how the library is the sanctuary in this book mm-hmm. have you read strange the dreamer by lady taylor Mm-mm. you have to read it <laughs> the main character is librarian Ooh, nice well yeah and like sabriel has the library uh, although it's like lyrial have you read the library at mount char no i haven't it's read an that adult one. book <laughs> it is so good yeah it's like this like preternatural being that's lived for like thousands of years lives in a small suburban town and his enemies come for him and so he like just nukes the whole town but he saves the children and he takes them to his library and raises them in different disciplines that there are access to these crazy oh, books wow. and then this book starts when they're adults and the the father is dead and missing and they're like trying to figure out what happened to him and this woman he's been out of it for a while whose specialty was languages and she like knows the languages of deer and things like that she comes back in and then is fighting with her brother whose specialty was war or oh, whatever nice. it's really really good and you that's check cool it out. I, al- I also just finished reading the the new adult series where like there's a crazy creature in that library that like as well and like the library is a sanctuary i don't know there's I think for nerd kids, you know, who like who whose sanctuary was books because life was shitty as young people like that's just that's such an uh, it's definitely a trope. But it's like one that I feel is true Mm -hmm. and like not like I don't think you could ever play that out completely. I haven't yet seen one that I didn't like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I love that. I love that he was a pacifist even though he recognized from the beginning that it was not a respected track 
and that they weren't paid attention to. And he is the most aggressive pacifist <laughs> that I've ever seen in my life. And I like how he stays true to his pacifist principles while simultaneously being like, no, this is unacceptable. And I'm going to do everything I can to advance the cause of like learning and, you know, talking as opposed to stabbing. Yeah, peace. And oh, I thought it was so fascinating that the treaties are the things that make the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, even though the war is the glorified thing, like it comes down to the words and it comes down to like, what are we agreeing on? And like, who's lying in the words and who's not reading the treaty? And I, it, like that definitely speaks to a lot of ways like indigenous communities have been treated. And mm-hmm. I just thought there was a lot of not overt, but like really covert ways to think about the world. That was well done. I mean, the elf society was more overt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love that just flipped on its head in the book. And it's just like when you're first reading it and you hear Serene say something like, oh, like, you know, when she's dating Elliot and, you know, she's worried about like taking his virginity or whatever. And she's like, oh, but then like no other maiden will want you for for her husband because you've been sullied or whatever (laughs) and he's like yeah no it's cool (laughs) but like it's funny but then you have to think about why it's funny Mm -hmm. like and it should be equally as ridiculous the other way around but it's not because it's just so ingrained in us and ingrained in our society from birth pretty much and it does get to the point by the end of the book where i'm like shut up serene like every time she's being condescending to them like where in the beginning it was hilarious and i was like do it all the time <laughs> i want to see you do this more but at the end i was like it just sucks to condescend to like a whole freaking species of people or whatever well yeah and she gets her comeuppance because she's in love with the like yes the blue stocking yes <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I got to the exact halfway point. I really, really am enjoying the book. I'm going to finish it. Just, I don't know, anxiety and my attention span. Like, I can't read for long chunks of time anymore. And it is a sort of difficult book to read because, like I was saying, the chapters are super long. They're long and they don't have scenes. A lot of it is, like, in his head and sort of, like, in doing history and almost. Like, I had a. I usually am a person I will sit down with a book and I will start it and I will finish it within like a day or two. And I, I think it took me like a week and a half for this one. It's a meaty book and there's lots of pages and it goes through four years of his life. Right. Yeah. But I just like I, I don't think I'd ever read anything by Sarah Reese Brennan before, but I was like, oh, you are definitely an author. I would pick up and read something else by as well. And I told Britt backstory on this book. It was started as a blog post. Really? She wrote this in pieces on her blog. Oh, that's so cool. And her friend Holly Black, yeah, renowned author Holly Black, apparently printed it out. I think this is in our author's note, but like she printed it out and was like, this is 100,000 words. This is a novel. <laughs> like, <laughs> you need to awesome. do something with this. That's cool. You have so many tools over there. Bro. <laughs> just getting my, well, this one I have on my Kindle, so getting my highlights out. I <laughs> got my phone that has our script notes and I'm ready, <laughs> even though I didn't finish the book. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so our main course is missing pizza and burgers. So he like lives, Elliot goes over the wall, he lives his life in the fantasy world and there's like one and they don't eat regular food, you know, they kind of, like, the elves eat, like, fruit, you know, mm-hmm. and, like, porridge. They eat a lot of porridge. At one point, he talks about not missing the real world, except that he missed pizza and burgers. Yeah. <laughs> Which is relatable. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't have yeah. a burger, like, every two weeks, I think I might just die. I don't know. <laughs> I've never tested. <laughs> 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 Who can say? Uh, and the 
And I brought this topic, which is meaty, and I'm interested to see what you think about, but it's species versus race. So I think this book seems to interchange racialized issues in the world as we know it for interspecies issue issues in the borderlands. And as a white person, I thought it was clever and cute, but I think it could possibly reinforce stereotypes of other races as animals in particular rather than people. And I'm just wondering, like, did that stand out to you or how did that work? All of the other species in the other lands are like fantasy species and some of them are definitely like animalistic and there are scenes where they talk about how those like the animal aspect and like devaluing that. I can't remember. I know that they were against the dwarf in the camp. Were they also against the elves? Yeah. Were the humans also anti-elf? Yeah. Serene's the first elf to ever attend this, okay. this school. All right. Yeah. I guess since I'm used to that in basically every fantasy I've ever read, the dwarves and the elves have been stand-ins for other races and the subject of racism. So it seemed really familiar to me, I guess. I didn't really give it a second thought. I think... Oh, go ahead. The reason I brought it up is because I was like, oh, dwarves and elves are cool, but then when we get into the more like like animalistic species... Oh, like the harpies and the mermaids and the giants. Yeah, then I was like, oh, now we're like... I don't know. I, I mean, I... I thought she treated it so well. I just, I'm just, I was like concerned that maybe I was missing something that, you know, I just, I, I don't want to like tout a book without really thinking through all of the, all of the possibilities. Um, so that's why I put those in there. Yeah. I think it's something that like you see a lot in fantasy and I think it's sort of a comfortable way to address issues without necessarily having to name them. And because it, it it is made up, but you can still kind of like talk about real issues without it getting like as uncomfortable for people. I think Harry Potter does it a lot, like in the way that like werewolves are, you know, discriminated against and just like all of these different different types of people and like how Hagrid is half giant and like Umbridge and, you know, her disgust for anyone who's like less than pure, you know, there's all these different avenues to discuss it. But I think at this point, it's not enough anymore. Like I think maybe once upon a time, it was a good stand in. But if you're going to set your book where there are like humans and other creatures, then it, you have to talk about all of it. Like, right. Like Zootopia, it works. Cause like they're all animals. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think that's something where where J.K. Rowling kind of like missed an opportunity to do that really well in Harry Potter. Because when I watched Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, my first thought was, how is the president of Makusa a black woman in 1926? What? It was just completely oblivious to like what was going on in that time period. So it works up to a certain point, but at a certain point, we just have to address the real issues head on, I think. Yeah. I like that you brought up when you have humans in there because I think that's the point where I got after at the end of the book I was like this is very British Isles and there's a lot of redheaded people so it's a lot of like Irish stand-in perhaps I thought maybe that was that was what she was going for but then I was like Britain has a lot of not white people (laughs) in it Mm -hmm. especially these days and this is contemporary and I didn't think she and again I think like lack of discussing about it is the defaults white so I felt almost all I felt like all the humans were white and like the only diversity we got was in the other like non-human characters so 
I only read the first half, but Commander Woodslinger, what's her name? Oh. Woodslinger, Woodslinger. Yeah. Is she black? Because She's black. She's okay, the first black. description of her was that she had dread, so I just assumed. Oh, yeah, but like, and like they didn't say her command comes. I don't know if you got to the part where it comes much more into play, where she's being constantly Challenged. not listened to yeah. and overlooked, and everybody else is stupid, and she's like the only one who has it together. And then eventually, she gets the command post. Yeah, our narrator, and then everybody turns against her. And yes, I did get to that, okay. and like they ambushed. And yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Like. Oh, it's humans against everybody else, but is it when yeah. she gets mm. to? So I think she did kind of address that a little bit. I missed that then. Maybe it was a little too subtle. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a super. I can be both like subtle and dense, but when it comes to like certain things, I need them set very strongly. I'm a very literal person mm-hmm. in a number of ways. Also, the book was like super dense, so I was like reading quickly, and sometimes I will skip over. Things that are like that just like read it faster. Of course you do. It's a, yeah. it's a book that you have to skim a little bit because it's pretty, it's a lot, pretty long. And it, yeah, I was finding myself doing that, especially with Elliot's like mo- mental montage. <laughs> <laughs> but I think maybe maybe like to some authors, it might feel like oh well, if you know I'm exploring these issues of diversity through like these creatures, then that's good enough. But you can do both. It just, one doesn't have to be a substitute for the other. Like, you could do both. Do both. <laughs> With Little and Lion, right? Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't just about, like, one thing. Bring all, bringing all of the layers into it makes it more real. I'm reading a book now called Space Opera by Catherine <gasps> I'm reading that right now. Are you? <laughs> yes, I'm literally reading. I started it today. Awesome. So <laughs> I love her. Right, so it's like Eurovision in space, like aliens come and discover us, and they're like, oh, well, you're just getting too sentient for your own good, and we're worried you might come hurt us, and we, we've decided conflict is we're going to have Eurovision every year, and if you come in last, then we're just going to kill you all, because you haven't shown enough empathy. And her central question of the book is, which of us is people and which of us is meat? And that's sort of the thing that goes through it all. So. We have all these aliens that are incomprehensible to us, so we have that sort of stand-in, like how they have conflict. But then all of our main characters are people of color, and when they're nominated to be our representatives, everybody on Earth is super angry, like all the government people. And they're like, no. So she sort of does a good job of addressing both, I think. Yeah, I'm super excited. <laughs> I just got to the point where... You're going to be drowning in adjectives, though. It's it's like Scrooge <laughs> I mean, McDuck in the coins. It's her in adjectives. It's I know. Valente's writing is is super intense but the first one i read was um cities of coin and spice have you read those Mm. yeah which is just story within story within story and so after realizing and then the whole fairyland ones yes so after realizing that was her style i I knew this would the sentences would be complicated but i've already had to read a few over and over again are you listening to the audiobook no is it good it's a british dude reading it and he does amazing accents oh cool yeah I might have to think. <laughs> I haven't like fully transitioned to the audiobook thing yet because they're not on Spotify, which is like the only <laughs> streaming thing that I listen to. I got to the library. But yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I liked that Elliot was into languages too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you have to be able to speak people's language to meet, like, whatever it is, the whole love languages thing. You have I mean, because he was tr- teaching people that they had to treat them like people. Especially yeah. with the the harpies and the giants. Yeah. That and I love that he like used himself as bait with the mermaids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts. 
Okay, so dessert is fruit and flowers and emotional investment. While Elliot is awful, (laughs) (laughs) I fully cried when he finally comes to some emotional realizations with himself. More so than I have felt for many characters recently, it felt very familiar to my own teenage realizations. That scene where he goes up into the tower and he's like friends with the captain and he's just bawling because he's finally realized kind of what of a terrible person he is, but also that like he's made some poor decisions or whatever. I was cry. I was full on crying, and I didn't like him. I mean, I liked him. I liked his like mouth and like the language, and like it felt very familiar. But I didn't like him as a person. I was like, you are super problematic. But then when it got to that point, I was like, I don't think I've had a cathartic release like that in a really long time wow. about a YA character. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, you grew on me, Elliot. <laughs> I kind of like you too, <laughs> but I'm not gonna say it out loud. <laughs> He is kind of awful, but it's kind of hilarious. (laughs) Like, he says the things that, like, I think but wouldn't say out loud. So it was kind of fun to read about it and read. But also he reminds us every once in a while that it's, like, a defense mechanism. Like, he was bullied. His father doesn't give a shit about him. So, like, this is how it expresses itself. Even though he pretends, like, not to care about Luke and is just, like, what does he call? He calls him idiot or he calls him loser. Loser, yeah. Every time, like she's like, whatever, loser. Like, there's these little moments of worry that he's gonna lose Luke as a friend, mm-hmm. and so you can see that it's like a projection of his insecurities. It kind of reminded me of that Thirty Rock where Liz Lemon is worried to go to her high school reunion because she thought she was bullied, and then she gets there, and it turns out that she was the bully. Because she was so afraid that everybody was going to be mean to her that she was constantly like just honing in on everybody's insecurities mm, and lashing out. Reminds me of me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like that he called him loser. I'm not. No, I mean it was it yeah. was completely unforgivable, but understandable, I guess. It's it's a calculated insult because like Luke, he comes from this family of you know the Sunborns and mm-hmm. they do all these things and they have these like family Olympics and winning and they are literally the winners winners. (laughs) so calling him loser isn't just generic oh whatever loser like it feels pointed Mm -hmm. yeah it was sharp i mean he had a super sharp tongue and it was i couldn't figure out why luke kept coming back (laughs) you know it was one of those classics i think that's why well because everybody had fawned over him his whole life and he had never met anybody who gave him any trouble at all Mm -hmm. and then like it made him feel like a person instead of part of a conclave of people you know or like being constantly put on a pedestal yeah i kind of love that luke never remembered anyone's name (laughs) that was one of my favorite characteristics of him i was like i was like are you slightly on the spectrum like you really like possibly i don't know but like even people he'd interacted with and elliot's like i've introduced you to this person multiple (laughs) times and luke's just like very focused he only knows Elliot and Serene and that's it like that's his life Mm -hmm. but when you're a sunborn you know people know you you don't have to know them right (laughs) I thought that was super fascinating like Elliot immediately picked him out I want to be anywhere where that guy isn't (laughs) (laughs) I was like yes I have had that exact same sentiment (laughs) with somebody I haven't later you know come to date them but (laughs) you know actually oh god one of my favorite weird moments with my problematic roommate who moved out was we had just finished filming a music video and we were walking home and he was wearing like a sombrero as a white guy. Some black man walking down the street saw us like both walking together and he takes one look at him and he was like, 
keep me away from that guy <laughs> or like like seriously the same thing or like keep that guy away from me like Just the exact same like, like instinctive like no, no. <laughs> and i took i'd known we looked ridiculous and then i just looked over and i was like yep <laughs> take off the hat dude. like legit <laughs> legit response <sighs> for the last one drinks i have mead and the found family which we've talked we've brought the up the sunborns but i loved that elliot was family with them mm-hmm. the mom he so wanted a mother. He yeah. did. He was just yearning and desperate for a mother. How prickly he was with everybody. And then he was just like, yes, you please be nice to me. <laughs> it was <laughs> sad. And she was super nice to him. And she was. Yeah. Totally loving. And like, I've definitely had people who I've like idolized in that way, but she also didn't disappoint. You know, mm-hmm. And I, and she was a human. Yeah. Like, she liked war. And she had affairs outside of her marriage that he found disappointing. She's like, this is just my life, you know? So she wasn't this perfect Donna Reedy kind of mom figure. Yeah. She was a person. I loved that there was like a lot of normalizing of different sexualities in this book. There was so much sex in this for YA. I was really surprised. I really haven't gotten to the good part. I just finished years 13 and 14. Wasn't he having sex? He did have sex with Serene. Like young. Like... I was like, wow. Yeah, way younger than he had sex. But yeah, I know he was like definitely a sexualized being and mm-hmm. like totally, I loved the sexualized nerd, you know, <laughs> like person you wouldn't expect. And he's like getting it on the most. So like, right. Elliot, <laughs> please sully me. I loved when he said that. He was like, no, no, please sully me. Enthusiastic consent. Yeah. <laughs> I liked how his sexual relationships made him grow as a person. Yeah. He wasn't damaged by them like especially that one with the older man yeah. like and yeah i don't think you've gotten there yet it's um when he's 16 and he goes back home and has a relationship with a boy in his town that's like in his 20s and that guy clearly likes him because he thinks he's young and pliable and then but he isn't he doesn't retreat into himself he doesn't become like a more pliable being and he comes out a stronger person for having had that experience i don't know i thought that was interesting yeah i thought i did i thought that was a nice turn on that type of relationship that could have been bad mm-hmm. and i like that he i mean this is clearly the character but he is so fully himself even when it's like the most awful part of himself he is mm-hmm. just like 110 percent in it at all times yeah yeah like you said the most aggressive pacifist i love <laughs> him when he like dr- uh, he gets one of the guys drunk so that they'll sign the treaty and let him <laughs> write the treaty I was yes, like, yes yeah <laughs> manipulate those adults <laughs> i loved it i would love to he- hear what you have to say at the end brett if we have nothing else to say mm-hmm. on that tonight we can say i want you to say it every time now <laughs> book appetite yes. book appetite book appetite <laughs>